This is a Broad Pods production. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hi and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go. I am Cecilia, the producer behind the scenes. Joe and Shelley are your hosts today. And the episode is really about resilience, we found out when we sort of got to the end. The first guest is the winner of the Victorian Prize for Literature, author of the book Black and Blue, A Memoir of Racism and Resilience, Veronica Gorey. Then entrepreneur, author, disruptor, Lisa Messenger is joining us all the way from Texas. And then we look at a different kind of resilience when we check in with our own new mum, Bianca Chatfield, and we meet her bubba, Kaya. We also have a chat about Mother's Day and a great giveaway we've got if you haven't checked our socials this week. And if you're listening after Mother's Day, well, sorry, you missed that one. But uh, we also talk about what else we could provide on Mother's Day that mothers really need. Don't forget you can catch the show live every Tuesday between 9 and 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And you can do that on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitch. But now, here's Joe and Shelley. Oh, good morning. Welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Joe Stanley and I'm thrilled today that my co-host is Shelley Ware. Hi, Shell. Hi. Good to be here. I just love you. And you always (laughs) look so gorgeous. I have to warn you, darling, buckle up. My memory this week, I don't know why, well, I have theories Mm -hmm. as to why, but my memory has taken a very bad dip. Has it? That's okay. I'm used to that. I dip dip up and down too. I don't know whether it's it's post-COVID perhaps Mm. or um, menopause maybe, or I just have a lot going on, like our brains are full, right? So I just Mm. feel like words that I used to know have been shoved to, to the back of the filing cabinet in my brain. <laughs> I know that feeling well. <laughs> so this is what I'm doing now. I'm just surrendering it to the fact that I don't remember the word that I wanted to use. Yep. And I'm just going to leave it up to the people I'm talking to to fill it in, right? Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of my things that I do too. And then I worry that I'm getting Alzheimer's. And then I, 
unworry that I'm getting Alzheimer's because I have friends like you tell me they've also <laughs> having the same Whatever. problem. So if I'm looking for a word, I'm just going to say, you know what I mean, you, know you, you do the work, That's you right. fill it in. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> Thanks, darling. Buckle up, we're all the same, I think. It's such a beautiful show today and we're really excited to bring it to you. As we always say, if you are joining us live, it would be lovely if you would like to share your comments or questions along the way. You can join us on Facebook or YouTube or Twitch. I always forget to say Twitch. I'm not across Twitch myself, but Ro over there, our beautiful production manager, she insists on it. Ro, what even is Twitch for? It's for the young people in my mind. (laughs) Twitch is for everyone. It's a really fantastic live streaming um, forum. Um, You can just go twitch.tv. It's basically digital TV and anyone can do it. And um, definitely got lots of gamers and things like that, but it's also been a home for conferences and special events while people have been locked down, unable to travel with COVID. And um, it does really cool stuff. We had a a streamer do a fundraiser for a Husky Rescue organisation I'm involved in and she raised like nearly $20,000. Wow. We Sheesh. nearly had a heart attack. So it's brilliant. Wow. So there are people Get on, on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> Just not us. Just not us. <laughs> so you can, of course, watch uh, on Twitch if you wish and comment as you do. How do you feel about Mother's Day? Oh, look, I'm not massive on it. I've actually sent my family away to Queensland. So <gasps> I'll be here. <laughs> They'll be on here. your own. They're having a surfing, you know, father-son surfing trip. I'm not a massive believer not even believer just every day's mother's day isn't that what they say i don't need that day well that is the perfect mother's day in my opinion that you mm. get to spend it on your own i know because i didn't mean to but i didn't care yeah because mm. mother's day is like yes it should be every day right of mm. course we need to appreciate the mothers in our lives uh, and in society we need to appreciate the incredible work that we carry as parents in general but mothers specifically particularly coming out of covid we know how much extra we've been carrying that's been well documented but I kind of go I'm gonna spend this week wondering whether I'll get a present that I like or not and if I don't like it I'll feel ungrateful (laughs) so that's bad and I'll also go oh is that a waste of money Um, and then on top of that I go oh you know what would be more awesome than Mother's Day Um, what about free childcare what about equal pay what about mm. <laughs> just acknowledging the mental load and sharing it in the yeah. household? Yeah, that'll That's be kind nice. of better than a pair of slippers. It is better than a pair of slippers, but I, I'm a little bit different to you. I take my son shopping. Do you? We go shopping and buy exactly what I want. And then his dad takes him shopping and then they buy something that I may or may not like. And then everything's okay. Okay. So <laughs> have you put in a request for this week? Yes, we've, we've already been shopping. So I've already got a nice top. So looking forward to that. And they're going to pick me something up in Queensland. But yeah, I'm really blessed with the son that I have. He's a beautiful boy mm. and... Um, I genuinely just feel that love and that appreciation every day. So, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And that's why I always say to my daughter, you know what, the cuddles you give me every day, that's all I need. Mm. Time with you is all yeah. I need. But for, And you know what, now that I think about my daughter, who is, again, similarly just so devoted and so mm. loving, for her it's nice that she can get something for me. Now that yeah. she's 13, she loves They do love that. it. Yeah. The kids love it. Like Taj loves it and I see the joy in that. But um yeah, I'm a give or take. Mm, yes. I said to my husband on the weekend, because my daughter plays footy, right? And there's an app that the footy club uses to communicate. And we're four weeks oh. in, he still hadn't downloaded the app. And I've gone, you know what, for Mother's Day, how about you download that app? <laughs> 
That's all I want, <laughs> that you're sharing the load of the footing Agreed. communication. Download yes. the app, for God's sake. Yes, come on. Just download the app. <laughs> Well, happy Mother's Day to you after you're heading into Mother's Day this weekend and uh, thinking of you. Um, if you are carrying a little bit of sadness in and around Mother's Day because it's not always easy mm. for everyone heading right. into Mother's Day. Well, let's welcome our first guest this morning. I'm really thrilled that she's joining us. She is author of the recent winner of the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for her book, Black and Blue, a memoir of racism and resilience. Her name is Veronica Gorey and I just loved this book and I love her writing. Veronica, it's so lovely to have you on Broad Radio. Thank you, Joe and Shelley for having me. So, I mean, one of the many threads, we were just talking about Mother's Day there, one of the many threads of the book that I found so moving, Ronnie, was your deep connection to your kids. And you say that they're the reason that you wrote the book. What did you want to pass on to them by sharing your story? Um, just so I wanted them to know like everything that I've been through in my life. Um, I didn't want my children to have to dig deep into the archives, which I have had, had to do um, for my grandmother and my other family members. So I just wanted to eliminate that process for my children and my grandchildren and generations after that. That's um, pretty special. That's something I'm actually doing with my mum at the moment because it is pretty hard to get all of that history. So I love that you've done that. But your memoir is a story of your childhood and a decade spent as a police officer. It's very personal with lots of memories of abuse and violence and racism that you've shared. What was your experience writing that? And what were some of the parts of history that were actually really difficult to recount? Yep, so I first, thanks, a good question, Shelley, but I started writing a book um, soon after I left the police. Um, I, and at the time I was diagnosed with PTSD, um, anxiety and depression, and I had a trauma amnesia. So I lost a lot of my memory. And so I started documenting what memory I did have. And before too long, I had a book's worth of memories. But um, in relation to the book and my life, I think the hardest part um, was my childhood. Um, I've had a I wouldn't say a violent upbringing, but um, like when I was with my mum, um, who was an alcoholic, she was quite violent and abusive towards me. Um, yeah, so that was pretty hard going through that. But it felt as though um, it was a... The, I really loved how you told your story, Ronnie, because you you didn't sort of over-sentimentalise it. It was, it was so sort of factually written, but with this real heart... And I found it so incredibly moving. Was there, as did you imagine the reader as you were writing it and hoping that you maybe were um, shifting opinions and thoughts and how people see um, ex those sorts of violent experiences as, as people grow up? Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's a, it's a quite a heavy read, so I had to be mindful of how I wrote it um, and I had to picture the reader and I wanted them to feel like as if, as if I was sitting beside them having a yarn with them. Um, because the way I write is the way I speak. Um, and I know there's heavy bits and, um, you know, I hope people are taking care when they read it. So mm. what has been the response of people that have read it and have they been able to reach out to you with similar experiences? Yeah, so a lot of them, um, so the first part of my book is black and then the second part is blue. Um, so the black part is uh, me growing up as an Aboriginal uh, Aboriginal girl on country and then, you know, moving around parts of Australia. But um, 
and all my experiences. So a lot of Aboriginal people will resonate with um, parts of that section of the book. Um, but it's not to say that it's everyone's um, story. It's just my story. Um, and so I don't want the reader to um, think that all Aboriginal men are violent. <clears throat> Sorry, because that's not the case. Um, you know, I've raised an amazing Aboriginal man um, and he's beautiful. Yeah, so main, mainly with, um, with Mob, um, who have been in constant contact with me when the book first came out, I've had to nurture them through the process because um, they like felt overwhelmed by it. And I guess because of they, their ability to reson resonate with it, and a lot of people um, aren't able to tell their story, um, you know, growing up and, you know, what they've been subjected to the way I did. And that's the only difference between me and them is that I've written about it. Um, yeah, so I've had to nurture um, a lot of Aboriginal people and my family as well. But, um, look, I haven't heard from any of the former people that I've worked with in the police, um, which is probably a good thing because I don't want to hear from them. But I've heard from other former police and, and, and serving police officers all over um, so-called Australia and the world. But, um, yeah, so, it's, you know, it's been received really well in so, that regard. I mean, a, lot, a large part of your story is... Uh, your time in the police force as a police officer. Can you share what that was like for you? Oh, it was it was horrendous. So on a daily basis, I was subjected to racism, bullying, misogynistic behaviours by, um, you know, it, let's face it, it's a predominantly white male institution. Um, and if you're a black person or if you're a female, and I was minority in several aspects. So I was an Aboriginal person, I was a female, and I was a single parent. So... You know, to work in a very racist institution was very difficult. Um, but I turned up every day and part of my strategy of getting to work every day was turning up one hour early because if I didn't, I'd spend that next hour um, think, making up excuses as to, you know, why I shouldn't go to work. You know, I had gastro a lot um, and did to a lot of other people. That, but um, no, I didn't have gastro, but that was one of my excuses. Um, it's a good yeah. excuse. It's been one of my go-tos in life as well. No one questions gastro. Highly contagious. <laughs> Highly contagious. Oh, yeah. Bless your heart, yeah. Now, my dad was actually the my dad was actually the first Aboriginal police officer in Australia, and he had. A lot of racism that did play a role in his work, but he also had some very fond memories of working in the police force. But the reason he left was because he knew that he couldn't help Aboriginal people. The system wasn't set up to, I guess, help Aboriginal people the best way in which he wanted to. So that was one of the major contributors to why he left. Where do you think the police force can learn from your experience? And has there been a conversation with them about it? Um, there hasn't been a conversation with Queensland Police per se, but there has been with other police services across this country about that and other, not just police, I just want the listeners and the viewers to know that um, a lot of what, um, workplaces are culturally unsafe for Aboriginal people and not just Aboriginal people, people of colour, if you're black or brown or if you are from the um, LGBTQI plus community, it's it's not an inclusive um, workplace and it's culturally not safe for us. Um, with your father, Shelley, that's amazing. Um, and it's it's a shame that we're like, we as black fellows, we're like always the, the first one, the first one to you know, finish high school, the first one to enter the university in our families. It's, you know, it's sad. Um, 
but I think um, the police wasn't designed um, for Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders. It's designed by white people for the for the white people. But you say, Ronnie, that you don't think that Aboriginal people should be police officers, and and I like I don't I don't expect you to actually answer this question necessarily. Like I don't think you can solve this problem, but I'm interested in your opinion. How can we solve the racism within the police force if then we don't have people from all different cultures as police officers? Yes. So they have. Um, they have. Um... Uh, what is it, workplace strategies where they try to employ um, people from all ethnic backgrounds. Um, but once we we employed, and we know it's just a tactic just to, you know, them they're meeting their um, target. Um, we know that once we're in there, we're not wanted. Um, you know, we're outnumbered. And you'll find within um, pretty much all spaces across the region, not just police, but um, you'll find minority people tend to flock together. Um, we don't, you know, we don't feel a part of that um, workspace. Um, you know, there was days, a lot of days, I'd turn up to work and not one person would say hello to me or, or you know, or even include me in any conversation that was had within the police station. Um, I recall um, they were talking about a work barbecue at um, after work barbecue on the weekend. Um, with all the police and their families, and I turned up with my my, my ex at now um, and my youngest daughter, and at the no one spoke to us at the barbecue. I was so embarrassed and very very hurt because um, you know I'd been subjected to that over the years, but I just felt really hurt that my child was um, had to um, experience that as well. Now you speak of um, intergenerational trauma for our people. You speak of this intergenerational <laughs> trauma. And the devastating effects, and a lot of that has been about past government policies and how they still affect us to this day. But the systemic racism that you've faced and what does affect us every single day, for people listening, how can they be a part of that change? I think we've, um, us blackfellas calling for change and, um, you know, treaty and to be included and to have a table for so long now that we're not being heard. Um, you know, it was only in 1967 that we were allowed to vote. Um, you know, and the traumas that um, my my people were subjected to has a deep impact on generations after that. And like, I'm still feeling the trauma from my grandmother being stolen and my father being stolen. Um, so what we need is allies. Um, and I think we're on the right track there. We've got allies that support us, that turn up and help us, you know, when we have our rallies and all that. So, yeah, so I do I do see hope that, you know, things will start to change. Well, I mean, I would say, um, uh, and I consider myself, uh, you know, I'm doing my best every single day to be the best ally that I can be. Um, and one of the things that has been a profound shift for me in the last week Ronnie was reading your book and I would recommend everybody read this book because it not only shares your story but it puts your individual story in the context of this horrific um you know abuse that all of your people have experienced Mm. and the intergenerational trauma that you have experienced it absolutely um, it just humanised a story that we've all kind of aware of but made it very, very real, particularly because you start with your grandparents and them being taken. It was 
it's so beautifully written and it's so it, it shifted me, I have to say, Ronnie. So I, I hope that um, other people have said the same to you. Thank you so much for those kind words. And I think one way of, um, you know, non-Indigenous people that can support Aboriginal people is to buy our books, read our stories, um, support us, you know, in, the, in, in all areas, um, like whether it be, you know, musicians or creatives, um, you know, we're all out there um, and we're very self-determined. Um, but I like for all the, you know, non-Aboriginal people that are reading my book, thank you so much. And I hope you have a better understanding of, um, you know, it's, you know, although it's just my story, a lot of other Aboriginal families do resonate with them. Well, we've got a question here actually from one of our listeners who's joining us and uh, sharing on Facebook, Stacey. She's saying... Um, you know, I'm so sad by Veronica's story. I'm a white cis lesbian female and have not lived one minute in Veronica's shoes. But to Shelley's question, I want to support and be an ally. Is there a group I can join? Are there is there actions that we can take, Shell? Yeah, well, there are. There's there a lot are. of actions. Yeah. yeah. You you go ahead and I'll share yeah. mine after yours. <laughs> okay, well, to do your bit, um, thank you. That's a good question. Um but you can pay the rent, and if you Google pay the rent, you can contribute financially, but not just financially. It's not, you know, monetary. It could be services. Um, but you're all living on stolen lands anyway um, mm. yeah, and profiting and pilfering from out, from the lands of the traditional owners and um, pay, pay the rent. It's a fantastic uh, organisation. Is an organisation a sort of more of a platform that you can go along and actually contribute? I think it's more of a platform. Yeah. 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 I, I also think, um, Stacey, you can do things like being involved with your local community and, and hearing the local stories and immersing yourself and, and meeting Aboriginal people. And, and what Ronnie was talking about was listening to actually lived experiences, <coughs> buying the books, watching the films, listening to podcasts and sharing in those stories and also, a really important thing is understanding the history of your own country. Mm. You know, there's some fantastic resources out there that are, um, you know, let you know what actually happened and why the situation that Ronnie's in with the systemic racism, and I find myself in, in quite a lot, that this country is built on systemic racism. So doing your part to understand that and your role is, is really important, Stacey. Yeah, Ronnie, you have a beautiful analogy in your book where you say if you were to visit another country, generally you research the culture, you research, you know, the the beautiful music and the art and the history and you understand why places are called what they are and all of that sort of stuff. Why wouldn't you do it for your own country? Um, which I just thought was a really great... It's not just an analogy, it's just a fact. Why wouldn't we do it for our own country? Well, like... I guess, well, since colonisation, you know, the, with the settlers, you know, the white people that are that are here now and before have this sense of entitlement that it's their country when it's not their country. You're a, you're a visitor on our lands and you should be acting like one. Um, do your research. Do your own research. Don't make us do your research um, unless you're going to pay us. And I'm quite happy to be paid to do your research if you want to pay me. Um, I find it um, in the year of this, where it's 2022, and I did a um, Gary, uh, lecturing at Monash University a few weeks ago, and I was told by a few of the students that I was the first Aboriginal person they've ever met. What? Um, in mm. 2022, you know, yeah. and you know, and at Blackfellas, we all know every this day. is the facts. You know, like one in every, I would say one in every ten white people 
have made connections with Aboriginal people. So nine in every ten white people have never met, have never spoken to an Aboriginal person. And yeah, you'll get that one white, you know, one of the white people that oh, I used to go to school with an Aboriginal kid back in great, you know, in primary school. But did you allow that Aboriginal child in your home? And the, I, I would rec- I'd say that the answer would be no. Mm. Every Jeez. day I have that, to that, say that. That's actually blown my mind. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, okay, so there's lots of things we can do daily. I just want to finish by saying, um, you know, Ronnie, so much of what you carry and you share in in the book and that you carry every day in your story, has it seems like it's tinged with guilt and regret and shame. You talk about that a lot and I just wanted to reach through the pages of the book and give you a hug because, I, you know, I also see incredible strength and resilience and love and compassion in you. And I hope, you know, do you feel those things also, that you carry those things? Yeah, I guess, well, since... Well, since the age of eight, I've been like groomed as the leader of the family um, in my, you know, in my family circumstance. But, um, you know, but, um, yeah, I just thank you for that, Joe. Um, and I do feel your hugs. Thank you. But um, I just want, um, oh, look, I've forgotten what I was talking about now. That's all right. Your resilience. <laughs> resilience. <laughs> We're talking about resilience. Oh, yeah, do, you feel, do you feel like a resilient I, person? Know, well, it's not resilience. It's like... As a black woman, we're all we're all resilient. I mean, every day, you know, we, we the the battles every day. It's not just one day a year, or you know, people think we get up and do, march and do the rallies on Invasion Day. It's every day of the year, we're calling people out for their for the racism um, that's happening within our communities. So, yes, yeah, so that's yeah. I do say that I'm resilient. Unfortunately, I shouldn't have to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I shouldn't have to go to war every day but it, that's how it is mm. unfortunately well as we were saying do what you can to be an amazing ally and i would say the first step today is to buy this book and read it and share it with your connections your family your friends because it is just so powerful and it's um it's it's a beautiful book uh and i i'm really grateful to you that you shared it veronica thank you for having me joe and shelley have a Deadly day. You too. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, now, Shelley, we're still talking resilience in a different kind of way. I, When I first started Broad Radio, a very lovely woman that was working with us on the show, she gave me this book. It's by Lisa Messenger. This one is all about being an entrepreneur, but she has written, oh gosh, in the tens. I'm going to say 16, but I think maybe more than that as far as books are concerned. But she is a prolific producer of amazing materials to help us all embrace ourselves as who we are and to step into a limitless life. Doesn't that sound nice? Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> she's an entre entrepreneur, author, disruptor, and she's joining us from Austin, Texas. Hi there, Lisa. Hi, beautiful ladies. I was just so inspired. I was lucky enough to watch you and Veronica before I came on and I was just so touched by that story. And I was honestly like, it's, I'm surprised I'm even on here because I was like, oh my gosh, those st statistics around nine in 10 people, like, yeah, that was quite mind blowing. So that is a hard and beautiful act to follow. So thank you for having me. Oh, don't talk yourself down. I've got to say that um, I've wanted to connect with you personally for a very long time because this book has really changed my life. I've returned to it as a startup founder repeatedly. Um, you talk a lot in here about the fact that you're going to be scared, right? And I'm scared a lot. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I want to ask you, I suppose, for those who are too fearful to start following a dream that they might have deep in their heart, where do we start? Thank you. And thanks, Joe. This is my Crazily enough, um, this is my 21st year in business. I realized I've got sun on my face now since we dialed in before. I'm like mm -hmm. sitting on my floor in Austin in the startup house. <laughs> so 21 years in, I am starting again, right? Like we are um, planning a massive build out in the US. And so I think what's really important to remember is that at any given time, any one of us is starting something and doing something for the first time ever. So, you know, you just need to dig deep and, you know, read avidly, listen to podcasts, follow you guys and, um, and then find your, your own way, I think. And I think real resilience is a learned trait. And I think it's largely learned by failing a lot. And I fail all day, every day. And somehow along the way, you know, I've garnered this resilience. And I'm, I'm just starting and I'm challenging and pushing myself every single day. Now, Lisa, you say absolutely anything is possible. What do you base that on? <laughs> the only thing... The only thing I can possibly base that on is my own lived experience. And um, I mean, I don't know how raw you want to get, but I mean, I go back to my life in my 20s and I was drinking too much. Um, I had alienated my family and hadn't spoken to them th for three years. I had no semblance of who I was, what I stood for, what my values and beliefs were. And, you know, my life was pretty much a train wreck. And when I actually became courageous enough to dig in and find out what was holding me back, why I was self-sabotaging, 
using alcohol as a crutch and a whole lot of other things. Um, the world and the kind of serendipity and the synchronicity and everything that happened was truly unbelievable. And the doors that have opened for me since have just blown my mind. And that isn't because I'm anything special at all. It's just because I chose to kind of have a dream and believe in myself. And yeah, I've just stepped into like bigger and better and more amazing iterations every single day. So I truly believe if we're courageous enough to, you know, stand up for what we believe in, find our voice, work out why we're self-sabotaging, then I truly believe anything is possible. Do you hear from women day in and day out similar stories about how they had to address why they were self-sabotaging? And if so, is it a similar theme? Why do we, what, what actually, why are we, why are we our own worst enemies? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question or commentary and it's so unfortunate. And whether I'm hearing from people across social media, I mean, it's, which is beautiful in terms of it's a real time feedback loop or I'm standing on a stage or I'm chatting to someone in the street or whatever it is, I feel like there is unfortunately a common theme around lack of confidence or self-esteem. And we need that kind of external validation before we'll actually believe in it ourselves. And unfortunately, I think it is a continuous theme, but I just keep bringing people back to like, you are no, like no one is better than you. We are all really equal. We should be able to be equal. And hopefully, you know, listening to Veronica in 2022, hopefully if nothing else, we are starting to finally step into that phase where, you know, the level, the, the, playing field is somewhat being leveled people are becoming more aware and so yeah I think if people can overcome their own sort of demons or internal whatever's going on and really step into their truth then again anything is possible I do a lot of that <coughs> sorry so I have a frog that Someone is really get really... this woman a glass of water <laughs> yeah I have one but I'm a little far away just from Texas water beautiful so I no so sorry so I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of emceeing, and that's one of the things that I do just before I start. If I start to get a little bit overwhelmed, I actually say to myself, they are no better than me. Like, I, we are equal, and I'm just here to do my job, and then I get on with my job. But you had a bit of a, you had to overcome your fear of public speaking. How did you do that? Massively. Um, thank you. It is such a good question. So... I mean, this is the other thing. I first spoke, I wrote my first book in 2004 and it was called Happiness Is. And the reason I wrote that at the time was I was searching so desperately for what happiness was. It eluded me that I went around Australia asking people what happiness meant to them. Now, as a result of that book doing quite well, <laughs> which I hadn't foreseen, I had to get onto stage and speak in front of a lot of people. And I was meant to be speaking in Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney. And I remember I did Brisbane and then I was so shockingly bad that for my own speaking gigs, they got someone else to take over oh, in Melbourne and wow. Sydney. <laughs> it was horrendous. Is and <laughs> coming back to the theme of anything's possible, I mean, I've now shared a stage with Sir Richard Branson five times. I've spoken in front of you know 7,000 plus people. I'm on stage a lot these days. Now, the reason that I'm able to do it, and I think forget everything I'm talking about, my story is my story, listen to the um, similarities, not the differences, is because 
I consciously chose to do it my way. So a lot of people, and I don't know if this is the case for you, kind of learn something by rote. They have amazing PowerPoint slides. And I was like, as soon as I did that, I came out of my body and I like got completely discombobulated, forgot what I was meant to be talking about, wasn't connected with the audience. And so contrary to what speakers should do, I actually meditate before I go on stage to deep house music. Mm. I clear my brain, I feel into it, I get on stage and I just connect. And that's how I do it. And for a lot of people, that would be scary. They'd be like, oh, my God, what do you mean you don't learn it? But I know my story well enough now, and that's what works for me. And so I think for anyone, you know, don't do what society dictates or society says you should, rather find your own way. I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, when you say you know your own story, you know your purpose, you know your why, Mm -hmm. right, which underpins everything, obviously. Yes. You talk a lot about yes, that. Yes. So, but my question is this, and I speak a lot of, with women who are sort of 40, 40s and up who are feeling a little bit lost. You know, you think that you're coming into. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's going to get what? rid of that. <laughs> this is a woman who understands how to present well on the screen. She's just going, I'm in the dark here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Do it so, your own way. <laughs> that's right. No, I love it, Lisa. Thank you. That's going to help us a lot later when we're editing some highlight clips with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, I speak a lot with women who are sort of in their 40s and up who are feeling a little bit lost because um, maybe they've been in jobs that they've hated for a very long time and they don't want to be doing it anymore but they don't know what else to do or their kids have grown up and they've moved out or they're being pushed out of a job and they're kind of going well, what am I going to do for the next 40 years and they don't know how to find their why or their purpose how how do we do this if we're feeling like actually why even am I here it is such a good question thanks Joe. so um, I'm not going to give away my specific age, but I am 40-something plus, 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 plus. <laughs> and, and I would say I didn't truly step into my purpose, like truly, until I was after 40. Um, in fact, before that point, I'd had my own business for many, many, many years, but I had been over-servicing, under-charging, being everything to everyone. Like it wasn't until I was over 40 that I really hit what I wanted to do. So it is never too early and it's never too late. Mm. Um, I would say three things. Number one is um, feel into what excites you, what makes you want to jump out of bed every morning, what kind of lights your soul on fire, what's the thing that you do that makes time pass by. So that's number one. Number two, um, start to listen. I talked a little bit about external validation before. Start to listen for a while if other people are like, oh, my gosh, you're such a great connector or you're really great at, you know, whatever the thing is, start to listen to that Mm. and go, oh, is there something in number one and number two? And number three, if you're wanting to make it a career or have your own business, the important piece that is number three is, is there some kind of commercial viability? Is this something that people want to buy that there's a market for that I can actually make money out of? So I think they're really important things. And the beautiful thing these days is that people can work for someone else and have a side hustle or they can start their own business. And again, in my experience, it comes back to that 
that courage piece. Um, you don't necessarily need to have a lot of money. Again, talking about self-sabotage. And Joe, my second favorite book almost to um, Daring and Disruptive is Money and Mindfulness, which I talk all about, um, you know, that, you, that there are more currencies than cash. And that's a really important kind of notion, I think, for a lot of people who are wanting to start out who say, but I don't have enough money to do it. And a lot of how I've grown my businesses is I've looked at, you know, how can I trade? What can I trade with other people? Is someone great at doing websites? Am I a great communicator? Can I help them with communication? And can they build me a website? So think about that. There are many, many different ways that we can start. I love that trade. It's very much um, an Aboriginal way too, like I will do something for you and you do something for me. So I love that that's something you've talked about. So you have inspired so many people in the space of being an entrepreneur, in resilience, even in your own relationship breakdown that you've actually had. Does that come with a bit of pressure for you? And do you have that expectation of always having to be well put together in your vulnerability? <laughs> well, again, and thank you, I mean, I did have um, six and a half years ago, I had a very public relationship breakdown. And what I've learned since then, and I had, I mean, it's a funny story and I don't know how much time we have. Funny in retrospect, <laughs> I've written a book called Life and Love in the series. And um, that person had come and um, proposed to me the day that I was shooting the cover for the book. And so, you know, I, <laughs> I ended up writing this whole chapter at the end about, and life couldn't get any better, he just proposed. And the book came out and um, and <laughs> went to number one on Booktopia and it was doing really well and I was doing a whole lot of TV and radio interviews. And four days later, he came home and said, oh, I can't do this anymore. So <gasps> I don't yes. share so much of my <laughs> public <laughs> or my private life anymore. I choose very carefully what I share. Mm -hmm. but but what I would say is this, um, you know, for people watching, I just jumped up and closed the curtain. I just talked mm -hmm. to you about how I do it on stage. I think if we try to be someone that we are not and we're not truly authentically living daily in our truth, then it's very easy to be tripped up. You know, we then end up with skeletons in the closet and we forget what we've done. And there's so many people we see you know, particularly on social media, who are trying to keep up this facade of perfection, whereas I kind of just let it all hang out and <laughs> what you see is what you get. And <laughs> it's just, it's a much easier way to live. And so when people say, oh my gosh, you're really vulnerable or you're really authentic, I'm like, I just, I just find it easier. Mm, yes, that's always been, I always say, particularly with Broad Radio when we started this, and you know, it's been kind of, we're feeling our way with mm. the technology and we're doing it 18 months now. So, and Ro over there, she's amazing. She's running the show like a tight ship. But <laughs> I always say, if it falls over in my favour, my mm. brand is to be completely flawed because I don't really care. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, and that's it. And well done. Kudos to you, ladies, because it's an amazing, you know, effort. And the thing about it is I have found when you allow people to see your frailties and something happens, I feel like people fall in love with you even more because mm -hmm. it humanizes you and it makes you raw and real and relatable and attainable. And suddenly you're not just, you know, 
these fabulous women running broad radio and you're you know you've got it all together suddenly people are like oh my gosh they're just beautiful humans and they're just like me so yeah mm. it's great when things fall apart if you're comfortable with it you're yeah. like yeah uh, very, very comfortable <laughs> very comfortable with that and if, if anybody had any doubts about whether you're a real person lisa all they need to, to, to have seen is you in lismore after the floods which was all over your social media and I mean, I, I, you talk about resilience a lot and I imagine you saw some extraordinary resilience there when you were walking around and, you know, helping with the relief effort and getting people's stories out. Um, did you learn anything that you perhaps hadn't learnt before about resilience when you saw those communities? So much. It, um, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, just to contextualise it, um, I, I was living up um, in Bangalore near Byron Bay. I bought a house there 11 years ago and we moved up during the pandemic. Um, and so I was there when the floods um, happened and and I was watching it on television and um, I was actually staying with my mum that night because my own house had flooded. And I said to mum, oh my God, I can't stand it anymore. And if anyone goes back and looks through my social media, they'll see pretty much exactly how my business and my life and anything I'm, I'm passionate about rolls out. I just went into the spare room, jumped on Instagram and said something like, oh my God, I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to find a solution. Um, that night I contacted um, a friend of mine and we we got in touch with the person who runs Nuri Bar Hall, so a local hall. And we said, look, can we have the hall to take donations? And um, the next morning by 10 a.m. and again on my Instagram, like it's insane how much people want to help when you lead and you just find a way to do things. I had at least 200 volunteers in that hall, like giving us stuff. And my mum walked in and she was like, oh, my gosh, you're a mug about. But the beautiful thing about that was, um, and it's well documented now, it took sort of the SAS and the army and the people who were meant to be tasked with doing these things at least nine days to get on the ground. And so I was actually communicating with a lot of the local charities um, and they were saying, we've just set up a, um, you know, an evacuation centre at Alstonville. We need 80 mattresses, we need 80 pillows. So they were directing me and I was then able to direct this like amassed set of volunteers I mean so I was in there for um, nearly two weeks and I'd say we had at least a thousand cars a day in and a thousand cars a day out and somehow I just started running this whole operation so what I learned was many things um, the power of community like at a grassroots level is phenomenal number one and number two is that I have, again, this is coming back to the anything's possible thing. I have zero experience in, you know, crisis management or flood relief. But when you're passionate about something, as Veronica was in a different way, um, your previous guest, it is extraordinary how much we can step up and lead and amass change. So for anyone watching or listening, never underestimate the power of your voice if you're passionate about something. Mm, amazing. Lisa, it's been awesome to have you. Before we go, we have to just mention that you are running a business masterclass. Uh, I believe it's a six week. Oh, no, you tell me. It's yes, called... that is correct. <laughs> it's called Startup Smart. Very quickly, tell us uh, how people can get involved in that. Oh, you are too divine. I always feel so bad. I'm always thinking, just have a lovely chat and I wouldn't be here in service. And then I'm like, oh, the promotion. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> I just put out a book, which you just kindly showed, called um, 
startup to scale up, which is pretty much um, an amalgamation of my almost 21 years in business for anyone wanting to start a business. And in conjunction with that, we are launching a masterclass. So it's the first time that I've run a six-week business program. A lot of people very kindly have asked if I'll mentor them over the years. And so this is something we've pulled together where people can join and follow along. So yeah, people jump onto collectivehub.com. They can register for that. And yeah, it kicks off in a few weeks, but thank you. Oh, look, I'm getting on board. I I need all the help I can get, (laughs) as does everybody. I think that's one of the lessons. You just gotta be willing to ask for help. Lisa Messenger, it's just been a divine conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you, you beautiful women. I am so privileged to be on here and I loved every minute of it. So thank you so much and I wish you all the best with everything. It's amazing what you're doing. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300-8-BROAD. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Shelley, I've committed one of my cardinal sins, and that that? is keeping the mother of a baby waiting. (gasps) You should never do this, but we're so thrilled she's joining us. Broad Radio's own Bianca Chatfield. She Mother's Day is this Sunday and she is our newest mum on Broad Radio. Hi there, B. Hello. And you know what? I've been listening into the whole show because mm. Kaya has been asleep. So we've just been listening to your fabulous voices and I mean mm. I've been loving it. Lisa Messenger, an idol of mine as well. I've read everything that she's ever put out there and love listening to her so but it's great to be back oh my god love look at your baby kaya so beautiful you're gonna have to lift her up because your name there she is oh there she is oh she's just starting to smile like i'm waking up from a sleep little mode sorry sorry oh there you go oh Oh, there you go Do you miss yeah. cuddles with babies, Shell? I do miss cuddles. I wasn't a baby cuddler before I had a baby and he's pretty much been the only baby I've cuddled. Mm. But, yeah, I miss those cuddles. Mm. How's it been, B? <laughs> How old is she now? So she's 12 weeks. Um, I don't know where that 12 weeks have, has gone. I don't know what I've done other than kept her alive. Um, it's <laughs> that just was fairly real- important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fairly important. Yeah, it's just been a massive steep learning curve. It's been a huge eye-opener and a massive respect to every other parent out there um, who's done it more than once. Um, But I've loved it. Mark and I, my partner, we've, yeah, just absolutely loved it and had many tough times, no doubt. Um, But we're starting to get into that phase where, I don't know, I don't want to say it, but she's starting to get into a little bit of a routine. But what every parent tells you is it changes all the time. So (laughs) I think we're just in the moment appreciating we're getting a little bit of sleep right now oh no so you're getting some sleep she's is she she wouldn't be sleeping through yet is she four hours no she's not sleeping through yet but for me getting sleep is just at least more than a couple of hours in a chunk so Mm. we're up at about but around about 2 a.m um for an hour and then i put her back down and she's Mm. pretty good at going back down now to sleep so yeah it's been great i've loved it but um and i was surprised i had a girl i thought i was having a boy the whole time and my partner 
yeah, my partner, Mark, knew. He found out ah. and I didn't. And so we just had this played this game the whole pregnancy and I was sure he'd given it away a million times that it was a boy. <laughs> Um, and even when she was born, the doctor, you know, kept saying to me, oh, have a look what it is. And I'm like, nah, I already know. It doesn't matter. Like the cords covering, I can't even see. And then I was like, oh, it's a little girl. So I was very shocked to have a little girl. Is it, is it annoying to have other parents give you advice? Look, I, it is probably overwhelming. I reckon that's how I would explain it. I definitely have parents that I, you know, great friends of mine that I go to and ask for advice. Um, but it's just, I don't think people can help it. Everyone just wants to give you their little bit or their little secret that worked for them because it, you know, really saved them in moments that they needed it. Um, so I kind of understand now, but I've been very conscious. Anyone who's had a baby after me and who's asked me anything, mm. I'm like, I'm not here to give advice. I don't want to give advice. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is just very overwhelming. It is. I had some advice from some people that led me to a pediatrician to ask questions about my son's development, bless their advice. Mm. But he basically said to me, what works in your house is fine. Don't mm. even be bothered by what happens with other people and their advice and what they did. If it works in your home, you keep doing it. So that's pretty yeah. much how my son was raised. What works. Yeah. And, you know, even um, social media, like, you know, when you're feeding in the middle of the night, I'm, of course, scrolling through Instagram and all the accounts that flash up as, you know, things that accounts you should follow are all about babies, are all about mm. sleep consultants. And so I'm constantly reading all this stuff going, Bianca, put it away. If it's working, <laughs> you don't need to change it. <laughs> and do you feel, because I was speaking about this actually with a friend the other day, um, because when I had Willow, so that was 13 years ago, social media was around but not mm. hugely, right? And, you know, you look back at photos then and we didn't care what we looked like. We didn't care what they were dressed in. It was like, you know, whatever, you're just raising a kid. Whereas now I feel like there's a real culture mm. of sharing these picture-perfect baby mother moments on social media. Do you feel a pressure to do this? No, I, I actually don't um, in terms of sharing her. I don't share a huge amount of her on Instagram, maybe if we're going for a walk or things, but never really a huge amount um, of Kaya. What do you want to, do you know what I've really found the pressure? I have gone back to do some work. So I'm working on the netball for Fox Sports and the season is right now. And what I feel a bit guilty about or sometimes a bit funny about is posting that I'm back working. And of mm. course, I'm getting full hair and makeup before I'm at work. I'm, you know, you're looking nothing like what you look when you're at home on the couch. And I feel really kind of bad about it because I don't want people to think it's easy or the people to think that I'm just cruising through because I'm not, but I share those photos because I'm at work and I'm, you know, enjoying doing the netball coverage. So, yeah, that's been a real uh, just complex kind of thought process for me to go through. I'm like, I want to share these photos of me at work, but I also don't want people to think, oh, you're doing it so easy because everyone comments that on mm. those posts. And I'm like, no, I'm not, but I just love what I do. And I'm, mm. you know, I want to go and do those um commentate those games when I can and then I come home and my life is being a mum and I love mm. that too. Just shake those feelings off, Bianca. I mean, it's fr it's frustrating that people judge based on a, a photo as well. Mm. Like you've got no idea what's going on in someone's mm. life behind that photo. Yeah, and yes, being a mum is right. very I mean, difficult. 
And as we know in the media, like you do, you get all glammed up and I'm not doing any of that when I'm at home. And I, but I love that part of my job too. I'm like, yep, put on all the lashes, put on everything. It's like so great when you got the opportunity. It's the best. You feel like you had a day spa. (laughs) It's true. It really adds to the fake until you feel it because it's all fake. But it starts to feel kind of good. What have you learned about yourself then, B? Um, so much. Uh, I've learned that life is not about me anymore. And just because I want to go for a walk doesn't mean she wants to go for a walk. And, um, you know, probably, you know, I've always loved, you know, keeping fit and going to the gym all the time. And I can't do any of that at the moment. Um, and I've learned to be okay with that, that, you know, just going for a walk or whatever it might be is enough. Um, but also just how strong you can actually be when you need to be and when you've had no sleep and she needs you. So you have to be there for her and you can't just switch off and go to bed. And, um, that's what I've probably learned the most that you just can keep pushing yourself through. And then, you know, when you need to, your partner steps up and takes over. And I'm very lucky that, um, Mark is someone who is just so caring towards me. Um, and we had to have a bit of a chat early days around (laughs) he, felt so helpless and I was Mm. basically you look after me and I'll look after her and this is how we can get through like this really kind of you know tough early days and that's really been helpful so you know my breakfast is always ready for me when I get up in the morning like he's just been so sweet in caring for me and it's allowed me to have all the energy to care for her (laughs) I should have married Mark oh my gosh Shell's going what breakfast really what I know and he does the laundry and he does all the cooking and I'm going oh my gosh I should have married him Definitely should have married Mark. I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? It's just lovely to see we've we've got women all over our socials saying my eggs are rattling. That's from Tom. Pato's saying she's so beautiful, and Katrina says baby diamond in the making. I mean, you don't want to pressure your kids to follow in your path, but you would love it if she ends up being a netballer, surely. Well, yeah, and just playing sport. It doesn't actually bother me mm. about sport, just playing sport because I know what how amazing it has been for my life. Not playing at the elite level, that's been great, but just being involved in sport and how much it teaches you and how great it is to have teammates to hang out with on the weekend. And, yeah, so I don't care what sport. I just want her to enjoy playing. And, I mean, she's going to have very tall genes. So <laughs> she is. Cool. Oh, my God. When you're so tall gorgeous. and you're playing sport. <laughs> But what if she's got no ball skills? Like, you know, some oh. people like me, I was just born not able to catch a ball. That's just oh. that's just a fact, right? You, you're going to have to accept that in her if she maybe doesn't have that skill. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> just be active. Just be active. Go, we'll do that instead of sport then. Yeah. yeah. You don't always get what you want. We were an athletics family and my son thinks it's the worst thing in the whole entire world. <laughs> and now he's a surfer. So we spend a lot of time at the beach with all of the surfing. So you don't always get what you want. Mm. So you just have to keep... An open mind there. But it is your first Mother's Day coming up. Are you excited? Do you have any plans? No, actually, do you know what? I haven't, we haven't really even thought about it, but we did. Uh, Mark was saying, because it was my birthday recently, and he's like, oh, another <laughs> present for Mother's Day. <laughs> and, I said to him, <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? We can set our own little family traditions now. And 
you know, rather than put so much focus on Mother's Day or Father's Day, like, why don't we just always make sure that we go and do a little activity as a family or, you know, just just do something together rather than feel like we've got to buy presents for each other. Mm, exactly. Because um, yeah. I certainly don't need anything. Um, but we're, yeah, so we're actually taking Kaya to a little baby day spa on Friday. That's our little family outing for Mother's Day. So oh I know, I can't wait. We've been wanting to take her. So we're going to go do that on Friday. Is this one of those pools where they bob around with the weird donuts around their necks? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are so funny. <laughs> I keep seeing everyone on Instagram with oh, it and I'm like, it. we've got to take her. We've got it. And there's one down the road from us, so we're like, oh we're going to take God. her just so Aww. she can just back yeah. in the pool. <laughs> they look like little beach balls just bobbing around. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. So cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so lovely. All right, so one final question for the two of you because this has sort of been the theme of the show, resilience, I think, very much. Mm. You have to be resilient to be a, a mother of a newborn, that is for sure. And now our kids are teenagers and, wow, there's some resilience in there. Um, <laughs> so um, where do you find your resilience, Bianca? Ooh, I, I think for me, I can be the most resilient, but only when I know that I have had time for myself at some stage, right? So, and, and obviously having a newborn, you can't have that. But for me, as long as I've taken some time out, whether it's to listen to it, my favourite song or anything, I can then dig it deeper to get myself through. And I learned that through sport and I learned that through now being a mother. You just have to be able to have something for yourself that gives you the energy to then put back into being stronger for whoever needs you and whether it's you know just to get yourself by so that's been resi- that's been how I found find my resilience all the time is got to do stuff for me first and then I can give back to other people or especially to this little one all the time yeah being strong in self is very important I love that well, I get my resilience from my ancestors you know aboriginal people have been through a lot and I draw from that and I look at how resilient they were and I take their strength and I move forward to make pretty much it a better space for Aboriginal people every day. Mm. Oh, Shell, I love having you part of the show. Yeah, I learn so much from you. Mm. And, um, yeah, I feel deeply moved every time we connect. So thank you for that. For me, it's always about just this moment right now and what can I focus on that actually is mm. positive. Like not positive in that mm. toxic positivity sense. It's like, you know, what can I connect with in this moment, whether mm. it's someone I'm with or the sunshine or whatever or little babies around me oh my gosh <laughs> I've got to come and give that baby a squeeze yeah Unfortunately, we'll have to I mean it's COVID time so maybe mm. I shouldn't come down but um don't touch the baby you, yeah that's fine. <laughs> well to be, I had COVID when I was I had COVID when I was pregnant I've had all of my immunization so I'm like surely she's got some kind of protection mm. from it <laughs> Well, true. That's true. Um, so just before we go, I want to mention one other comment. This is from Donna Stotzenberg, who we know and love very much as a, a sort of a, she's a regular listener. She's part of our family at Broad Radio, really. She is the founder of National Homeless Collective. And I wanted to mention that they're remembering mothers experiencing homelessness this year. Because, of course, it's hard to celebrate when there's no money for gifts or you don't have a roof over your head, which is a very, very real situation for many women. So they are helping 90 mums this Mother's Day. So if you can head along to National Homeless Collective, that's um, a really positive thing you can do um, to celebrate Mother's Day in a different way. Bianca, thanks so much. We'll see you soon in the per- in the flesh, I'm hoping. Absolutely. She's just snoring, so I hope you can't pick that up on the audio. But, uh, <laughs> I love that. The best. Thank you, lovelies. It's Thank been great. You so Thank much. you so Shell, as always, been gorgeous. Loved and uh, have a wonderful Mother's Day on your own. On my own. <laughs>
I do pick them up at seven o'clock at night. So I get a little, we'll have dinner together, which will be special. It's the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure you head along to our website and enter our wonderful Mother's Day uh, competition because you could win something from that awesome swag of prizes. And we thank all of the lovely people who have donated those prizes to our show. And we're going to be back next week with more Broad Radio. You have a fantastic week. Until then, we'll see you next Tuesday. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.